It's time to turn down the noise and tune in to News You Can Use, the show that gives you a quick insight into the latest twists and turns in healthcare news, where every diagnosis comes with an order of side-splitting humor. Your hosts are Dr. Nick, a longtime host, innovator, and healthcare wizard who can prescribe a digital dose of innovation to cure even the most ailing operational inefficiencies. And Dr. Craig Joseph, the healthcare guru who can diagnose both patient and software glitches with equal precision, making sure hospitals run smoother than a well-oiled robot dock. So buckle up, because we're diving into the ER of excitement, the ICU of irrationality, and the waiting room of wacky wisdom. Now here's Dr. Nick and Dr. Craig. Welcome to the month of November. I'm Dr. Nick. And I'm Dr. Craig. This week, we'll be dissecting the latest healthcare news, unraveling the twists and turns, and making sense of some of the debacles. Just remember, life's a lot like a breaking news story. Unpredictable, often absurd, and occasionally leaves you wondering if it's all just a cosmic prank. And as for cosmic pranks, let's talk about direct-to-consumer advertising. I'm going to classify that in the column, what on earth were they thinking? I'm going to talk about with you some weight loss drugs and what effects they have on the heart. Also, we're going to talk about whether we should be called patients or consumers and why it might matter anyway. But first off this week, we couldn't avoid artificial intelligence and specifically open AI and the forced holiday for Sam Altman, who, gosh, he just got fired from his post and the creation of ChatGPT, which is on everyone's mind. So how can we not talk about the recent, I'm going to call it a firing because that's what it seemed like, of Sam Altman from uh, OpenAI? Uh, that was just, I think it caught everybody by surprise. And of course, lots of people have weighed in. Well, I could see this coming. And oh, uh, you know, here's all the uh, fantastic insights. What, what do you think, Craig? Are you... Uh, yeah. Were you surprised? I was as surprised as anyone. Sam Altman, who is the was the CEO of OpenAI, the oh, creator, hold on, we we record this. He, he could be now, right? He he could be the <laughs> new, and then he could be fired again. <laughs> yes, we he can could. go. We can bounce back and forth here, and that um, is all in the last day, right? <laughs> uh, up until recently, he's been the face of of OpenAI, the creator of ChatGPT and and Dali and a bunch of other things. Um, and he's been everywhere around the world, around the country, talking about the you know AI and the work that he's done and the work that his company is doing. And and then all of a sudden, he was informed by a um, an, a Zoom meeting that he no longer uh, works oh, there. I didn't hear that, Jim. So this was a Zoom dismissal. Wow. Actually, now that I think <laughs> well, about it, that's an elevation from text-based dismissal. I, let's be I, clear. <laughs> I miss I misspoke. It was oh. it was actually worse than that. It was a Google Meet. Whoa! Oh, Google Meet. Oh, low. And, that is so low. <laughs> that is worse because, which a lot of people may not know, that OpenAI uh, is um, is uh, heavily supported. Uh, and works very closely with a company in Seattle. Oh, I forgot their name. Oh wait, Microsoft. Yeah, <laughs> Microsoft. So um, the, the so they couldn't even do it on Teams. They couldn't do it on Teams. They and did to it be on clear, Google. That might have been tortured. <laughs> yeah. So that was the big thing uh, that oh, was wow. taking the um, the social media by uh, by storm. Was that the uh, it all came from a, a, a 
a Google meeting request. No, you're uh, such a, you're such a goldmine of useful, highly relevant information relative to this. I just got to say, it's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> the irony. I mean, there's just eighteen, nineteen different levels of irony there. So, what do you think? Do you think? Because um, I, I mean, since then, and you know, what do we know at this point in time? So that happened, and you know, the internet exploded. Uh, with all sorts of commentators, everybody that knew that didn't know that had you know insights and whatever. I I, I saw somebody sort of post something about Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, and he said, "Oh, we'll take him," and you know he's got a job. Oh, and by the way, he has an open checkbook. Is I also read that, that's my understanding, and you know there was some commentary about that. Wow, that's a really clever, cool move. I'm just wondering about the billions that they invested and what they thought about that. Because if they exit all the stuff, does their 13 billion or however much it was that they invested, does that go to zero? Or how does that work? I, I, you know, another meme that was going around the internet was um, uh, this comparison of how much companies have paid to acquire other companies. For instance, Facebook paid $1 billion for. Um, Inst, uh, oh wait, am I going to mess this up? I think it was for Instagram. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was it for be. Instagram. Could yeah. be or WhatsApp. I think they probably yeah. those were the or WhatsApp. Yeah, they yep. you know they paid seemed like a lot of money, but um, in hindsight, what a bargain! And um, <laughs> so the meme goes through and it says, you know, this company paid X dollars for this and this one for that, and then it said Microsoft paid for OpenAI zero dollars. Um, Meaning that they were about to acquire, <laughs> as you noted, everything is in flux and we don't really know where it's going to go. But um, Sam Altman uh, was fired. And then the very next day, Microsoft said, we'll hire him. Um, and then a bunch Boy. of other people, uh, <laughs> a, a significant chunk of the of the workforce um, has has potentially yeah, signed said, a letter. I I, you know, I, I, I I, good idea. Well, if you were there, is that what you would do? Or would I, you be part of the 70 that didn't sign, that didn't see the letter when it was left in the Yeah, uh, well, let's, let's just be clear. Again, this is all from reporting that we're seeing now. But that, <laughs> right. that you know, the reporting that I'm seeing now is that there are about 770 employees at OpenAI, of which about 700 reportedly signed a letter saying, hey, board, we're going to leave. And if you don't, um, you know, fix all of this and go back to the way it was and and fire yourselves and, you know, bring back our, our fearless leader. Um, now, if that's all true, it's really hard to understand how the company moves forward without 700, without, you know, 90 percent of their of their employees, including all of their leadership. I, I you know, I don't, I don't get how you how you move forward with that. Was it a good idea? I don't I don't know. I, apparently, they like Sam. Um According to the reporting, they really like Sam. And they, I, I'm just wondering, is that 700 new employees at Microsoft with a new Microsoft.com email address suddenly? Uh, yeah, I, well, I, I don't know that they can stand that kind of uh, influx of numbers. <laughs> uh, well, it's a it'd be um, a small uh, drip in terms of the numbers. I think the salary though requirements would be um, <laughs> right. um, out, out the roof. But if it, yeah, it's 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 kind of crazy. You and I both depend on the software that they create. 
right? Well, we, steady on. We don't depend on it. We just maybe use it occasionally. I think, all right. right? <laughs> oh, you're right. I mean, I probably overspoke there. Uh, I use their software on a regular basis. You know, I pay the $20 a month to open AI to have access to the latest and greatest and, and all of that jazz. And I find it, you know, amazing. I still find it magical. And, um, the, the idea that it wouldn't be there or, and, and many, many others, you know, it's behind the scenes for Bing and other, other tools. It's built into all kinds of stuff that people don't even, might not even realize that, that, that they use, you know, for suggestions and, um, you know, other aspects, it's just the behind the scenes thing. So the, the concept that open AI would go away, um, is is odd i mean we're and we're talking about healthcare specifically a lot of the electronic health records are using specifically open ai software right. um, to try to summarize the chart or to predict in the case of one big vendor they're predicting uh when you send a message to your doctor your doctor might actually get a message when when they open up your message saying like hey here's a here's a good response to this patient with it already kind of written out and so yeah. That's all from OpenAI, uh, or at least a lot of those vendors are using OpenAI. So, uh, I don't know. So, the, there's it, essentially you've got this company. They've created quite the wave of interest. I, I would say that uh, you know, if I was talking about AI, you you would be hard pressed to talk about it without Chat GPT, which is you know now in in general use. And suddenly this misbehavior or, or uh, you know, firing of a CEO with no forewarning. And again, I've seen lots of commentary and, you know, potentially going back. But one of the things that I think is really interesting and, you know, still to unfold, but it's I don't think it's quite as simple as, well, that's terrible. They shouldn't have been allowed to do it because... In the creation of this company, it's got a really unusual corporate structure. And I am not, to be clear, an expert in this space. But based on what I understand, it's not the sort of traditional holding company that you know owns all of this open AI. It actually has this open AI nonprofit. It's a 501c that is a public charity, and that is the owning entity for the organization which has a board of directors that controls that is separated from the financial streams and was deliberately done to prevent the misuse of what is deemed to be an extraordinarily powerful technology and i think i i don't know if everybody agrees with this but it feels like this is a true inflection point in society that artificial intelligence using that as the broadest term could potentially be some of the most significant developments in our world. And, you know, what what's contained within all of that? Well, it, it's the challenge of what's called AI alignment. And I, the only way I can describe this or to sort of talk about uh, AI alignment is um, to reference something they call FOOM, I'm going to challenge you here. Do you know what FOOM is? Are you uh, familiar with the term FOOM? I would rather not respond. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> Fast onset of overwhelming mastery, which is essentially the machine teaching itself to do. And we saw that with Go. If you remember Go, it taught itself to win and beat Go. That was just in a small subset. But when you extend this to 
the potential future, it's essentially a life-preserving activity. And, you know, in that instance, what are we talking about? Well, I mean, for those that know, you know, what are we talking about? Right. It's Terminator right there, isn't it? I mean, isn't that what you think about or potentially? I'm afraid I can't do that. 2001 Space Odyssey. And if you know it, X Machine. I mean, the list goes on. We have all of this, you know, movies that have sort of painted the picture and they designed the board so that the board could prevent that from happening. There was, as I understand it, some fear that that was the direction that they were going. So they executed on this it wasn't an easy task because they had founders there were two sort of independent board directors and they've essentially made this decision done it and now there's this huge reversal so i i'm getting out my popcorn and i'm going to watch this space because i'm you know a small fry in this very very big ocean <laughs> but it's extraordinarily interesting and i think probably the most important thing that we're watching and it's right around Thanksgiving. Wow. Yeah. A gift. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of fun if you're not involved. Um, right. And, and let me be clear, uh, Dr. Nick, I do not want computers to take over. So you don't feel that you want the Terminator uh, helping you drive? Because he helps me when I have him on Waze when they have it available, because I, I love him as my guide. I really do. No, so I, I would not be advised. I, I'm. Um, I've seen these movies, uh, and I'm not a big fan of that outcome. So, um, yeah, if firing Sam Altman is what it takes to not have uh, Arnold right. Schwarzenegger come back, you know, naked and killing people, then I'm in favor of that. Well, let me just pull one other movie for uh, the positive side of this. You remember this one, Transcendence? That was where he dumped his whole persona, you know, his his essence into the computer that he then chased around the world. I was, you know, I, I, there's some positive sides to this, but it sure as hell gets really dark pretty quickly. And, you know, let's be clear, Terminator was, that was a movie from the 80s. So <laughs> it's been a long time, but yeah, it's it's been coming. It feels like it's a bit closer. So before we close out on AI, let's uh, just very briefly mention, we talk about chat GPT and if it does disappear, which, you know, apparently Craig thinks that's a possibility and it would be terrible since he pays for that. There are some others out there and I am going to call out specifically the Claude um, AI tool from Anthropic, which you can register for the same way. That is extremely good at summarizing long documents. So if you have long documents, you can throw them in. I, I've just found some really interesting use cases. And, you know, I recognize I'm going to be overtaken by AI at some point. But in the meantime, I'm using it because I think it's really valuable. So <laughs> any closing thoughts? Um, no, I look forward to you being taken over by AI. Um <laughs> <laughs> How do you and know I, that hasn't already happened? I don't. I just <laughs> my personality just, has changed. I'm just waiting for it to happen, and um, I'm hopeful that it's you first, so I can watch. <laughs> uh, I suspect I'll only get a minute or two, and then it'll be well, me. It won't be that long. I'm telling you, you're going to be a fast second if it goes. If it goes for me, I'm coming for you. I'm yeah. I I'm get just it. saying. <laughs> I would too. I would too. All right. So, trying to cover a few other items of news before we uh, have to finish. Um, Consumer versus patient. Uh, I, I think this has been a trending topic for a while. People are saying you should be a consumer. You're not a patient. Uh, you know, you. I, I, there was some um, reference to this and actually some pushback from this sort of consumerization of healthcare. What are your thoughts? 
Um, you know, my thoughts are that I see the benefits of thinking about patients as as uh, consumers and clients, right? Adding this experience so that they are not, so that they, I say the, they, like we're all not patients. Um, I don't like to feel like cattle. And if that's something, if changing the way you think about me as a, as a, as a patient um, and changing the name to customer uh, makes me feel less like cattle, then I'm on board. However, um, you're, you're referencing an editorial that was in modern healthcare from, um, two leaders at Stanford university and, and, um, it resonated with me and I absolutely responded to it on, on LinkedIn and, and, and Twitter and wherever else I am and said like, yeah, I prefer to be called a patient. And I prefer to think of the people that we take care of as patients, because I think that's different than, uh, than being a customer or, or a consumer. And if I'm, if I'm your customer, it kind of doesn't imply that there's a lifelong, hopefully, ideally a lifelong relationship. And, um, and, and, you know, if I'm your customer, I'm expecting you to sell me things. And, um, if I'm your patient, I'm expecting the opposite, quite frankly. And so, you know, where does the where does the response where where does the duty lie? If I'm if uh, physicians are treating um, and and dealing with customers instead of with patients, and I think there's I, I totally get people who might be rolling their eyes and going, it really doesn't matter what you call me, you know, like I have a headache, I want you to help me get rid of that headache. And um, I do, yeah. since you've been droning on. But anyway, go on. No, I, 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 I acknowledge this, but I do think that words matter and they have power. And I, I, I'm in favor of being called a patient and calling the people that we take care of patients and, and not thinking of them solely as, as, as consumers or customers. That said, I still think it's very important to try to leverage what we know from retail and other aspects mm. of taking care of customers. Um, that those are things that we can do. We can go quite far. There's a lot of white space there in the U.S. healthcare system to make things easier, make me want to work with you. But at the bottom, at the end of the day, I'm still, I'm still rooting for me to be called a patient. Yeah, I, I, I I've certainly been one for pushing the consumerization. I think you know we we desire that kind of service level in some respects. I agree with you. Words do matter. I think what I heard, and I wish I could quote the individual, but I, I would go one step further and say, it's not just words matter. It's the way that we use them and you know the appropriate context in this particular instance. And um, you're right. I mean, it, it's a very privileged circumstance. You can't get away from that as a clinician, the, the, the trust and bond and I'm pretty sure if I was doing that and calling somebody the consumer in that interaction, it would change dramatically. So I think fair comment. Um, so uh, weight loss drugs, uh, there seems to be a big push and saying, wow, they're doing all of these amazing things. Let's pick one. Um, improving cardiac outcomes, less myocardial infarction, cardiovascular disease as a result of massive weight loss. I'm just going to use two words, correlation, causation, in my view. Uh, it feels like we're jumping the gun a bit. I mean, great drugs, but is that really the case? I think we have to take a slightly deeper look, right? Well, this is an initial study, and, and of course, you're talking about, um, you know, what's uh, what what causes what, right? So certainly, these these drugs started off for patients with diabetes, and and so it was to lower their their blood sugar and to decrease the complications that come from high blood sugar, of which right. cardiology problems are one, oh, right? They are. 
So it's hard to kind of tease out like, hey, is this medicine helping your heart problems directly? Or instead, is it, well, it's doing what it's supposed to do, which is lowering your glucose, making it easier for you to lose weight. We know if you lower your glucose to normal levels and lose weight, your risk of having heart-related problems is much less. And so, you know, is it the chicken or the egg? Um, I, I We don't know. I, I don't think we're going to know for sure. Well, we for, did have that wonderful study years. with... with um uh, skydivers and jumping out of an airplane, didn't we? <laughs> we did. And that was amazing. Uh, we're going to need some more evidence to your I think, point. I think we should do some more studies like that, right? To prove the point. <laughs> Heck, I, you know, I want to go on some of these meds. I, I, if you watch TV, the commercials are pretty awesome. And so, um, I based all of my medical decisions on commercials that I see on TV, uh, as I assume you do too, Dr. Nick. So, um, yeah, Can we just think- let's cover that point very briefly since you brought it up. This is one of only two countries in the whole world that allows DTC, direct to consumer advertising of drugs. That can't possibly be right. I, I just, I can you justify this at all in any way? Well, we didn't. I, yeah, I, um, no. No, I think the only justification for direct to consumer for prescription drugs, because in the past, in the not too distant past, I remember when if it was a prescription drug, it could only be advertised towards prescribers, aka physicians. Oh, so um, that was the case before. I didn't know that. So that oh, was yes. the case here. Oh, yeah. So it changed. Oh, wow. yes. I don't re- in the 80s, late 80s, 90s, early 90s, sometime it changed. Yeah. I, and I don't remember. Ah. So the, the one argument that you could make in favor of this is that, hey, there were patients who had a problem that they didn't even know there were medications for. And when they learn that, they do go and have a different conversation with their physician. Like, hey, I wasn't going to bring this up, but I have been having, you know, trouble sleeping and I have, I might have sleep apnea or maybe that's a bad example, but yeah, those kinds of things. And so they make patients aware, um, stop rolling your eyes. Uh, that, that is what you asked me. Could you defend direct to consumer advertising? That's how I would do it. Well, we find ourselves at the end of another episode, exploring healthcare's mysteries before they become your emergencies. Until next time, I'm Dr. Nick. And I'm Dr. Craig. 